You're now tuned into the Soma Live on Union and Metro podcast. I am Jern. I am Jer. And I'm Mikey Beats. Soma Live was an all-aged concert hall with two locations in San Diego. First on Union from 88 to 94. Second on Metro from 94 to 99. We're here to share experiences from the best all-ages venue in America's finest city. On this episode, we talk about how to make money at a venue without alcohol, as well as the bands who promote and the shows that they get. We talk about the owner, Len, band members who have passed, and we make good mentions on No Doubt shows and a Smashing Pumpkin show. Let's go. All right. Uh, Soma Live on Union and Metro. So um, when I worked there, uh, it was an all-age concert hall, as it was in downtown, and as it is uh, at Sports Arena. Except there was a big difference there. Oh, there is a big difference there. Metro, they didn't have to sign in like they did at Union. Like, I guess because how Jeremy said, Union was originally a dance club. Right. And then that lasted... I, I wish Silas was here so I could bounce this off him, but I'm thinking it was probably about a year into it until the licensing had changed because eventually we weren't doing a dance club upstairs because by some fortune um i had done like the ill repute show um i was able to bring ill repute well tony from ill repute helped me bring down the offspring and the grim and i believe it was blasphemy a local band i couldn't find a local band that was available to play because we get into logistics of how you play and how much you play but that's for a different time, but it was mostly just down in the basement on Friday and Saturday night. I was able to keep pretty consecutively, and then it was every single weekend, and then we would splatter in a main stage show. So it literally went from we're trying to make this damn dance club work to it's not working. The venue was too big. Overhead's too high nasty part of town if you're coming down in and you're like an asexual goth person the last thing you want to see is anyone in downtown that wants to kill you because you might have two bucks so they can buy another beer and get some crack so the people that like coming down there are the younger kids that are punk rock kids who had nothing else to do because there was nowhere else to go so we were kind of privileged in that way to have it build into what we were doing and then eventually you know by the time metro it was the place for kids to go and in the the circle jerks documentary do you remember that were you there when what's his face came around and was doing a circle jerks documentary i have a little part in it where i'm like you know it's it's for the kids and it really was because there was no place for the kids to go that was that that was that metro I remember doing yeah. a show with the Circle Jerks at Metro. But yeah, I, don't, I remember that show. I don't remember them filming a documentary. Bleak play. Might have been a, might have been before. I don't know. It now, was it was definitely is, there because I remember talking to Xander about it. And he's, yeah, Xander was there that show. And um, the the Circle Jerks show. A friend of mine, I cannot remember his name. He was another promoter from um, North County. Xander Lost. Was that his name? I think so. I think I said his God, name I right. I don't that know. Guy. Xander was cool. Man. Repo man. And a bass player. And now, so, of course, he was sexy. Now, this is all all ages. And the dance club at the original Union Street, that was all ages. That was 18 and up. Oh, that was 18 and up. Yeah. But there was no booze. 
Right. Is that correct? It was just because of the dance permit. The permits and the bureaucracy are ass backwards, to be honest. And, and San Diego was always 21 and up for alcohol. Right. Yeah. So, so two questions. One, why was it 18 and up? Or why, why was there no alcohol? And my second question is, how do you make money at a venue without alcohol? Um, this is funny because for many years we tried to get an alcohol license. That was the whole thing to get the alcohol. To be honest, I I don't think that Len really or Mike, the head of security. Um, Nevison? Yeah. Or, um, well, there's uh, – I cannot remember his name. See? Brain just – but in the beginning, their original plan for the club wasn't – it was supposed to be a dance club and they were trying to get alcohol. So it's supposed to be, you know, a bigger dance venue with alcohol. So they were able to get the cabaret license, correct? Is that what it is? The dance license, cabaret license? I think so. And um, kept trying to get, we specifically, you know, that kind of, the idea of keeping the neighborhood under control and keeping it clean and policing ourselves came out of the need of sustaining and getting the alcohol license. And then at mm. one point, it just got to where it wasn't really that necessary because we were starting to do something. And the club started to actually make an impact. I mean, I had at in the beginning maybe 30, 40 connections to bands, and some of them were you know punk rock bands that weren't too well known. But I would call up, say, uh, when I would call up Keith Morris, I called him up and then he got me in, in touch with Greg Hedson from Bad Religion. And then just, you know, I would just shoot the shit with them. Like, you know, I was sitting there playing video game, playing Nintendo with Greg, but I'd be on my phone and my feet kicked up and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, we should do this and uh, we'll try to bring this band. So everything was organic and it was, it was just real. And then it started to become professional out of that. So eventually we realized, you know, we have something going on here. So the idea of getting an alcohol license was like, meh. And is that because the numbers of people were showing up and paying the, the entrance fee? Yeah, actually, yeah, because it started to grow. When you start having shows in the dungeon where you're turning people back and then you get to the, the carousel where one person comes in, another person leaves. Another person comes in, you know, and, you know, we had the clicker and everything. There's lots of boring stuff that goes into it, but, you know, people will complain. People will complain. Well, your capacity is, you know, 300 and you had 400 people go through the door. Yeah. And 150 people left because the band that was playing sucked so bad that 150 people left or the band was so good that a bunch of people left. There's dynamics to each show. So me, when I was trying to book a show, my idea was get an opener to get them exposed to some people. I don't expect anyone to show up for, I'm going to drop a name here because it's an old one, Chicken Farm. So I booked them with bands that I think will bring in people and they're excited because it's a punk rock show. So they'll hopefully come in early enough to see a little bit of their set. They cut their teeth. They get used to dealing with the club. And then by the time you get to the headliner, you want to have the place packed for the headliner. So there's a lot of sciences that go into it, and you have to understand personalities, regions, and 
a whole bunch of other science stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into at a different point. But as that started to grow, yeah, we we like, started. I'm getting chills. Me, we had some badass fucking shows. Let me know? throw something in there, like Lynn's computer. Mm-hmm. Somebody mentioned that on uh, on the Facebook uh, post. Uh, like Lynn had this computer that I guess something some software on his uh, laptop that would tell him how many people are gonna like show up for that show or something. Oh, wow. Did you ever see that laptop? I never seen it. The the lap the laptop. Let's see. I had books that I have written down every single person because he just absolutely adamant about you need to write down all the specs of so, the nights. So you think he was crunching numbers with the how many every time of what the draw would be for that certain band? Not on a damn computer. We would all talk about. I know it. everything was written down on a on a notepad. Well, but I did. I'd never seen a computer. Not, no. not once had I seen a laptop. No. With this with this software that somebody mentioned on a on one of the posts. So no. yeah, I was just like wondering about that. And I was going to ask you too, Jerem. Um, how was the local music scene at that time in the late '80s? Was there really a lot of bands to choose from oh to book God. those shows? Huge chill. So now we're wow. Um, no. There so you, wasn't. So you had a very limited pick. So there was a lot of rotation of the same bands that were playing with these uh, larger acts, or actually larger act. I mean, huge acts now, but Rages Against the Machine, yeah, Tool, Tool. yeah, um, Electric well, Love Hogs, aka Goldfinger. Well, they were all small back then, anyways. If you're huge in L.A., it doesn't mean shit in San Diego because mm-hmm. that's that's you know black and white. Even though it's only a two-hour drive. A completely different dynamics. Everything about it, the people, the cultures, the, the food, everything about it is completely different. So when I started booking shows, it was, you know, I basically started out with a handful of, of bands, and then I would just have to ask. And then eventually it got into where I had to visibly see bands and understand their crowds. But, yeah, I mean, there would be... A handful, and the, the idea again is, which I know gets just completely blown out of proportion. But if no one comes to the show and you have five bands that are really good, but no one's there, because even some of those uh, small local bands to me should have become huge bands like mm. Ghoul Spoon, mm-hmm. Psychic Zoo. Mm-hmm. Those bands should have been huge. Lucy's Fur Coat, Lucy's Fur Coat, exactly. Yeah. Even you know, Rocket from the Crypt got got. You know, they got out there. They were on MTV, you know. They were national, but they didn't grow as big as they should have. Yeah, should have blown. That, well, you know, then we go into the dynamics of San Diego and the politics of San Diego. You're not liked because you do something. You're not liked because you're not doing something. Being an infant scene and having hardly anything going on in this town, it was... I'm trying to create something. Now, mind you, this is this is me. I ride a skateboard. I didn't want to get a car because I can get around on a freaking skateboard. I ended up doing so much, and a lot of people didn't even ro- realize that I rode a skateboard. I was just a dirty little skate rap punk rocker with high school education and loved music and wanted to do something in my life that gave me purpose, which just happened to be trying to book these damn shows. So I took it really personal. And, you know, it 
I have, say, I have 10 bands that are available for that month. You got to look at things like, okay, so I'm going to pull some names. Crankshaft. Crankshaft is playing the Triton Pub in two weeks. That's kind of their home ground. They're probably going to do really well there. They're playing with Sub Society. Uh, maybe All is playing. That's going to be a killer show. I want to go to that show, but I have to book my show. Alcohol sales. People want to drink mm. when they watch the shows. Yeah, and that's another thing in which we went through through many years is, oh, I don't want to be around these fucking kids. Well, go to a bar and then come here and watch the show. You want There's just so many politics and so many ideas which were eventually kind of blown out by the time we got to Metro. But so then you get into the science of trying to book certain bands, and if you expose them to too many shows, they peter out because people's attention spans are short to none, and if they're bored, then you've already lost the fight. Yeah, you, you don't want to overkill. You don't want to. You don't want the band to play every week. Nobody, right. Then nobody you cares. It, it doesn't work. But if a band brings in, okay, dropping names. So Blink. One time they brought in thirteen people. By the time Metro starts, um, I won't say his name. But Len did give me shit, and then another big promoter who ended up he's huge promoter was even gave me shit, which I thought was kind of cool because he was talking to me because you know I'm I'm this fucking punk rocker, you know. You fucking talking to me, dude? Yeah, that's rad. I have three roommates in a two bedroom apartment, and you probably live in La Jolla, but <laughs> I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> and um. So, and, and just cats out of the bag. I ended up, I'm like, fuck that. I remember being on the phone and I was basically, for me, it was a weird time because I, I was engaged to this girl and she had two kids and I was trying to make a family out of us, but she obviously had other aspirations. So I um, let them keep my townhouse and I played the water and I pl uh, paid the, um, the electricity, and I was living in my car, and eventually I was living in one of those big wicker chairs in a friend's apartment because um, their son went to school with the, the daughter. And I remember being on the phone telling Len, you know what, the reason why I'm booking Blink is because they're cool. I can get a hold of them. I've talked to their parents. They want to play. Exactly. I'm like, this makes my life easier because they promote the shows. you got to start from somewhere and come up. Well, bam, school just started for their, I think it was their senior year or Mark was out or whatever. They brought in like 150 people. And, and by the way, kids, um, the bands that promoted their shows were the bands that went somewhere. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Gotta and, that work. You know, you don't come to the venue to practice. Mm. Right. Well put. But on that note, I also did book some bands just because I wanted to put them in front of an audience. Because I had a slot and I felt, and this is where for me it gets, it's cheesy for anyone listening, but I, I really was. Jerome's charity. Hey, fuck it. I had the fucking opportunity. That's what started me off doing it. I did, I don't work for some bands, but. So I ended up booking them, and then they had this huge show, and Lamb was all stoked and fucking packed the place. It was a side stage, packed the place. I actually got paid 
what would be considered, you know, maybe three hours of normal work. Um, but, you know, this is all I did at this point because I had to quit landscaping to just do by the time I got to Metro. So this was Metro that they did well. Union, they didn't do as well. And once that showed, then everyone started going, oh, you know, look at these guys. So, and, so that was Blink on the side stage at Metro. Yeah. And then and then they just started playing the main stage after that, right? Yeah, because that was the thing. We had a criteria, a level. You know, you set goals for your children. Like, once you stop, you know, crapping your pants, then you don't have to wear a diaper. Well, in the music business is once you learn how to promote yourselves and learn how to, you know, put on a good show, then you get to move up in slots. And it's it's not rocket science. It just makes sense, mm-hmm. even though people complain about it. But, you know, and we, we weren't and, about handouts. And going back to that, too, uh, that was um, uh, they got a dollar ahead, right, mm-hmm. when they came mm-hmm. in. So, you know, people talk crap about Soma. I mean, I've heard it from a lot of bands. Well, you should pay us more. You should pay us more. But a lot of bands don't realize somebody has to pay the bills of the venue, mm-hmm. plus the people working there. Um, and not all shows are sold out. Mm. And I think at that time we were only charging with five bucks a head. Five, yeah. So, five, and then the you know, $5. Six was like, whoa. $5 and maybe 100 people show up. That's not a lot of money. Right. Yeah. So when when somebody did their homework and actually promoted the show and brought in 150 they deserve to get paid, and they deserve to get put on the main stage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, at least, you know, the thing is, with Soma, we weren't like L.A., where it was pay-to-play, where every time you had to get, what, 100 tickets and sell 100 tickets to play the whiskey? You know, yeah. We never did that. Nope. Yeah. I, think, I think the new Soma does that, but that's because that's what the kids were used to, and that's what they wanted. And I remember when we started, when I started over there, when we opened, there was a lot of kids that were used to that L.A. scene, and like, yeah, give us tickets, we will sell them. And I'm like, no, that isn't the way we do it here. But that's the way we want. they wanted it. So it kind of, Soma then became like the Whiskey, the Troubadour, or in those L.A. venues that were pay to play. At that point, it becomes a matter of survival when you have to go to those tactics. We somehow, and mind you, and both of you know this, some of those shows were complete toilet bowls, just sucked the money right down. More damage, more community damage. Because, you know, once we get into Metro, we're talking about you have to, the community is looking for every reason to be like, that dude right there that was on the cover of the paper is the guy I want to talk to. But I had all you guys buffering me from everything. You know, my new lens in my ear, you know, not liking however, you know, I got a new piercing. But not only just the community, you also had to think of the university, too. We had issues with them as well. True. The university. And then, you know, when when you're dealing with national acts, so then you're dealing with everyone from, you know, the record label execs. Because it's the music business is a business. It's about money. So you have to portray yourself. MTV. Yeah. We had MTV out there all the time. Right? Yeah. And then, of course, you know, when the, the celebrities come drop by. I'm chasing Perry Farrell around with, he's got his freaking bottle of wine and everyone wants to meet him. And I'm like, dude, I'd love to sit here and talk music, but if, if Lynn sees you with that, you're going to fucking get me yelled at, dude. So we, all bets are off. So we keep uh, talking about Lynn, but we never gave Lynn an intro. Oh, well, 
I think everybody know who, knows who Len is. Well, if, <laughs> if you don't know who Len is, Len is uh, the the owner of Soma Live in Soma, San Diego. Uh, I guess I should uh, say one of the owners. One, one of the owners. One of the owners. Because um, Golden Voice became an owner, and I think uh, was it Live Nation now is basically an owner. I've I've heard that also. If you look at the new Soma website for the new the near location, it looks like Live Nation is totally running it. Right. So so Len is uh, he uh, created Soma. Len came up with the idea um, when when I came in in '89. So they had done. By ministry and I never remember Danzig, Sammy, Sammy the sound man, um, Sammy, we love that's you. That's it. That's what I was um, thinking too. Is uh, we should get in like on a um, one of these podcasts. We'll get a uh, we'll get Sammy in and and oh, yeah. Cy in to talk about the yeah. uh, Union Street days. Oh yeah. Plus Sammy was part of the Metro days as well. So, but uh, so Len um, with with Mike Nevison. Um, I got him never skin and this big mic and to do with the ponytail and blah blah blah. Um and there was a couple other people um whose name I don't even one I can't remember, but I don't really know if I throw that out there. They came up with the concept and they're the ones that started the dance club and the and then and built the place. The rumors were it was because Len was a recovering alcoholic and went to A meetings and this was a place for them to go. That's what I learned as a kid. I don't know if that's true. I I believe that does have some validity in there because now mind you, um, I've never seen them drink. I've never seen them do drugs or sell drugs for that fact. Never yeah. seen them do any of that. Mm. So I mean, there's a lot of rumors, but there's also a lot of rumors about me. And no, I don't swim with dolphins. There's no rumors about me because no one gives a shit about me. That's okay. I'm good with that. Um, <laughs> I love you to death, Mike. So <laughs> seriously, and well, you, there are rumors. You were safe at high school. So, yeah, I was sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. and and most of those rumors were true. <laughs> you did grow up, hey. and you've done some amazing things. So, Thank but you. I appreciate. Um, it. Yeah, so he he was, and what's funny is because freaking I'm a drinker. It's like I think I was raised on Guinness, but it's just a rumor. Um, it's because you're Irish <laughs> and ugly. You know, the more I drink, the better I look to myself. So, so Len, no, it's it just, but he he created it and kind of we'll get into it at some point later down the road about how I actually came into it because it's funny and it is because of art. And it has to actually, it goes back to, I give the credit to Ray uh, from Short Lived, Ray Cam, Short Lived, who had told me about, it. hey, hey, term, you know, them. Their uh, Soma, this new club, is looking for artists, and you know, I I don't know if that was good or bad, but it is what it is. But no, Lynn drank. We at the club, we drank straight black coffee and tiny little styrofoam cups. It was basically espresso, and we drank those. And you know, it, the day for us started early because we had to open up the place. Have to clean it up so that it looks, you know, presentable for being the Thunderdome. And, um, yeah, so those, the, I just kind of helped him or he helped me create. And by the way, for you people out there that uh, don't know, there's a lot of, that goes into putting on a show. There's a lot of work beforehand. Um, sometimes we were there like at 8 in the morning mm. getting getting a show set up. Yeah. Especially because of load in, 
Yeah. So, and mind you, leaving it. And depending yeah. on, and a lot of times the bands would load in at noon. And, uh, you know, you yeah. wanted to have everything ready for them. You wanted their writer to be out there. Um, you just wanted to make them feel at home. Which goes into, as Mikey brought up, about, you know, I, I've certain bands, I've, I've lose my mind when they would show up, run up and jump on them and, you know, but it was like a family reunion because you only get to see these people once a year sometimes. No doubt. Remember when No Doubt, you guys remember this, when No Doubt all of a sudden started getting big and then, then they go on that huge year and two months tour or whatever? They were, they were, I think they played, when I was there, I think they played maybe three times before Tragic Kingdom hit. And I think it was, uh, I think Tragic Kingdom had just came out when we did our New Year's Eve show with them. And that, okay. that was pretty big. Because I remember a point where Tony was telling me, he goes, Jerm, I just, I just want to go on tour. You know, because there's the internal drama and everything, but they just, they were starting to do well. And he was like, I just want to go on tour. And then it was like over a year later, and he was saying how they had spent, you know, Thanksgiving on tours and Christmas, I believe, on tour. I believe it was, but I asked, you know, so how do you feel now? And he's like, I'm just burnt out. Well, they, you know, they were they, about to break up actually. Uh, yeah. Before. Just a girl came out, and just a girl just Damn. totally changed everything for them. So blew up. I remember, uh, no doubt, opened up for Sublime on a show. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. If I I'm recall, thinking that Zach might have posted a flyer about that on the group. I remember I was I, Zach I'm, from Gold. I was at that show because if I recall, they played "I Saw Red," and I thought they were just fat old men, and this beautiful woman came drunk, on fat old men. <laughs> I think booze was the, uh, the the lower end of what they were doing at the time. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Gwen was a goddess to me. I mean, her, her voice in that venue, it would just – it would just Because you didn't hear that kind of voice every night. No, I'm yeah. so used to sweaty old men screaming or high yeah. school kids. You're used to me screaming at you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then she came in and just, oh, my gosh. It was just, it was just amazing. Yeah. Well, we had a few pretty good uh, female um, – Vocalists that came through Metro. Oh. Yeah, we had Shirley Manson, Garbage Played. Mm. Right. Um, mm. I'm had, just, I'm just had, saying. You we know. had Joan Osborne play when her hit came out. She, was, she played there. Oh, uh, wow. We yep. had, uh, I think the Cardigans played there. Yeah, I um, believe so. There, there was a point where I, I had hurt myself really bad, so I had a high voice, and I sounded really sexy. Um. No, but uh, there's well, let's go. Let's go into ska. When you get into the ska acts, and and then on the other side of the the realm, you have like um, Courtney Love that needed the arrows to find the stage, but you know, Hole played there, right? She was um, she was trashed. Mm-hmm. But there was but the band that opened for her was good, Brooke Assault. Oh yeah, there yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah, okay, oh. yeah, yeah, and then um. Uh, the Lunachicks. Oh, yeah. Um, their tour manager. I don't even remember her name, but when she would come in and be like, oh, she was like, I guess, I guess she upset my girlfriend at the time, but um, we got along really good. She was a freaking tough chick. I would have loved to have been, been in a band with her. She was tough, but she was, she was like the Russian police, firm but fair. Uh, there was uh, Dance Hall Crashers. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Say Ferris. Uh, oh. yeah. See, it, the Scots is 
we're going to have to do a full podcast on the Scott scene because those shows, you know damn well. Oh, yeah. Some of the greatest high energy, just ridiculous. Amazing, amazing. And, and so much mellow. talent. And mellow. Yeah. There wasn't any uh, skinhead fights or anybody getting stabbed in the pit no, uh, that, that during those Scott shows. Nah, <laughs> and the worst part about it was cleaning up all the confetti, bubble gum, and whatever, rubber chickens <laughs> off the floor afterwards. <laughs> it was just... Yeah, the whole and then thing. all the stickiness from all the bubbles. Oh yeah, it just yeah. Oh, remember all that? I mean, so realistically, I mean, if we look at it collectively from '89 till, you know, even if we go into the new one, but if we just go '89 through the end of of the reign at the two clubs, so '89 to '99, thousands of shows. Oh yeah, and huge shows, sure. and some bands that. You'll never see again, right? That that I'm uh, gonna dig into. I will. one one that got me was um, was it Shannon Coon from Blind Melon. Sh- Shannon Coons. Sh- yes, yes. Yeah. Thank you for the a question. Week, he died a week after. A week after. Yeah. I specifically remember him in the with his baby with his in baby. the backstage, throwing the baby up in the air, just giving the love. And, and, it was, and basically, every, he was going around. I, I don't want any. Smoking, no alcohol. He was totally mm. clean and sober. Mm. Oh, I remember that now. Yep. Holy cow. And then wow. a week later, left us. Crazy. I mean, a Bradley Knowles, Sublime. Yep. Yeah. That was another one that would play Soma. And then, you know, we lost him. 96? I think it was. I can't remember. I think it was 96. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's tragic that these bands would, you know, be on the upswing of success or maybe at the pinnacle of their success and just tragically someone would, would fall off. I mean, it's sad. There was there were tons of bands that didn't even have that success that just went through some shit. And well, even uh, yeah, I think it was, it was uh, I'm trying to remember the, the keyboard player for Smashing Pumpkins that played there. Oh, uh, Jonathan oh. Melvin, who was Wendy Melvin's brother from uh, the Revolution, Prince on the Revolution. He he passed away shortly after that show too. Whoa! Wow! I didn't, wow! And that guy was a pretty. I mean, nobody really knew. Of him, but he actually wrote wrote stuff and did stuff with Prince. Wow! So if you if you look look him up, you'll see he had he has a pretty has a lot of musical history. So see that's that's another show, uh, the Smashing Pumpkins. That was a two day show, mm. and we were talking about showing up at eight a.m. Mm-hmm. That show had a massive production. Oh yeah, I remember seeing those that uh, and the special ticket sales too. Remember that? I don't remember the ticket sales. Tickets were. I guess Billy Corgan actually um, did the artwork or put oh. the tickets out. They're special. They weren't like uh, Ticketmaster tickets. Someone posted that on the on our, oh, our own. on our page. That's right. Yeah, that was a magical show. Well, the the greatest thing about that was the load in was gnarly, but the night wasn't that bad of a loadout. But for me, well, it wasn't a bad loadout because everything stayed exactly. But for me, it was. <laughs> Fuck, should I even leave this goddamn place? Right. Because, you know, if nothing's here tomorrow, oh, we're screwed. We're, <laughs> this town's going to be lit on fire. And right. I remember that show, too, there was no openers. That was three hours of the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. Right, right. And then security was tight, that show. I remember I, could, I wasn't, couldn't even help. I wasn't I wasn't hired to uh to go in there. And do oh, that. you know what? That yeah. I oh my god. I well, haven't thought about that in a while. It was also time. because of the occupancy um because of how many tickets sold. So I'm sure it was going to be looked at as people trying to, you know, scalp or get 
pay extra money to get in because it right. was sold out. It was sold out. I think two those two shows sold out in ten minutes. Oh, totally. So yeah. I remember. There, I think there was a couple shows where there was some some yakety yak. Should probably not talk back. People yelling and screaming about the crew that we had. Now again, my memory's kind of faded, but. It, I could swear there was a couple times where it was literally the crew coming in was like, who's that? And who's that? And, and uh, knowing me, I probably had to yell at people and go, no, these fucking people work for me. If you want this thing done. I remember that. Okay. It happened. All right. Well. I remember a couple of guitar techs had it at me for opening up backstage doors to the outside and the temperature change. Oh, yeah. And that the, the, the that guy, happened to Slayer. That was that Slayer? Yeah, where, where the uh, it rained and the lights went out. Oh, well, yeah. Let's not talk about going on the roof in the middle of a show because something goes out. <laughs> oh gosh! Just, oh, we're, we're, that'll be a whole episode hey, but, right there. But, hey, there's something magical about Slayer in the dark and it raining, especially Jeez. when rain and blood comes on. That show terrified yeah. me. Yeah, that's. That's when you're hoping someone doesn't go running around peeing on people. I'm just saying. I, did, I, uh, <laughs> I just did it. Is that, the was that you? Of, uh, <laughs> hey, it happens. Oh, it smelled like pee in there. There were those those toilets. Oh, I'm sure people were peeing in the corner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to remember how, how bad the bathrooms were and uh, the line oh, to get yeah. in the bathrooms. Oh, I mean, come on. Was there was only was there only like two urinals and a toilet. Yeah. In the yeah. men's bathroom? Yeah. And a couple sink. sinks. And I think there was like two toilets. When the, the sinks were connected to the wall still. I think there was two toilets in the female's restroom. Either two or three. I can't remember. Three in the females? And there was many right. times I had to walk artists over to T.O. Leo's to use yeah. the bathroom. Right. Ian. Ian Fugazi. Ian McKay. Yeah. Yeah. I walked uh, Richard yeah. Patrick from Filter over there. I took him over there. I remember both those that shows. That was when I got to Those talk were to weekday him. shows, if I recall. I remember because I had school. Yeah, probably mm. a Thursday night. Couldn't load in, but work the shows. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Madness. So, well, we are uh, we're looking good here. Uh, this is a uh, Soma Live Union and Metro. This podcast was recorded at SGM Studio, the home of Sleeping Giant Music. It was also mixed and mastered by our friends at DistinctMastering.com. Music provided by Break Anchor. Please like us, follow us, subscribe to us. Find us. Thank you.